Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Welcome to Plan for Life Now, episode 35. How you doing today, Dave? I'm good, Steve. That's good. good. The back not bothering you too much? It's not back. It's the side of to my right. I can't tell if it's a lower back or hip. Okay. I don't know what it is exactly. It came from playing basketball. All right. Well, I, you know, I know and our I clients. Insisted, I was one of the ones who insisted on we play basketball Monday nights 8 to 9.30. You all don't know or care about that, but I beg to differ. I think some of our clients actually do care about it. Really, they always ask us. You know, yeah. So anyway, so we're near the end of this hour and a half session, and I was like feeling good. When you're when you're pushing fifty six and playing basketball, some weeks you feel really good. Some weeks you're super tired. I felt good for some reason. Wanted to play that last game, even though we'd go over our time. Mm-hmm. And it was in that last game that I did something to my lower back or right whatever it's still sore but like i just told you before we started this i'll play on monday this coming monday make it worse and then i believe we're off we're not playing again for three weeks so i'll have time to heal all right that's good i know everyone wanted to get an update i'm sure that two minutes of this Uh, podcast (laughs) that you that most of the people were listening to and have now turned off oh no it doesn't work that way they can watch a preview of what this is about right all right, well, maybe we'll use that as a tie-in to our topic today, and our topic today is humility. Yeah. Right? Now, we've talked about humility before, um, just in the context of not being too overconfident about feelings you might have, whether positive on the stock market, negative on the stock market, you know, convictions or thoughts that you've played out, and you say, well... I can see clearly that oil prices are going to go through the roof because of X, Y, and Z, right? And your logic might be sound and it it might have a good argument behind it, but it turns out not to be correct, right? And part of that is just because the world is complicated. You know, even though you might think, well, I can see X, Y, and Z happening, there's also factors A, B, C, D, E, F, and G that you can't factor in. Right? So we've yeah. talked about humility in that context before and how important we think it is for us as advisors to be humble about putting together portfolios, investment returns, and all of those things. Now, want to take that in the context of an article written by – there it is – our good friend, our unofficial contributor. He is. 
We'd hardly have, we'd have less. We're on podcast episode 35. We'd probably only be on episode 19 if it wasn't for Barry Ritholtz. You're right. We just wouldn't have any material. We'd have nothing to go on. Uh, but in all seriousness, you know, Barry Ritholtz is somebody who our philosophies are are pretty well aligned, and and we think about things in the same way. And well, you know, I'll say he thinks about things and writes about it in the way that that we do as well. Um, now, he was writing this article, and it was titled "A Lesson in Humility," and it was about the Alabama Senate election, right? Now, we don't want to go into politics. I don't care you know, what you felt about the election. Uh, but he was talking about President Trump and his lack of humility or lack of ability to admit mistakes. Right? And once again, don't want to go too deep into that. Yeah. Whether you, you know, like Trump, don't like Trump, you know, that's kind of part of his personality. It's part of the reason why some people like him. Um, but he was talking about this investor, Ray Dalio. Um, and if you haven't heard of Ray Dalio, if you're just a you know, regular investor, he runs one of the largest hedge funds in the world. Right. His current net worth. What's I, it called again? Bridgewater or something Bridge, like that? Bridgewater Associates. Right. And I don't know how much money they manage, actually. Uh, but it, it says on Wikipedia, it says his net worth is $17 billion. That's not bad. Not too bad. That's more than Dave and Steve combined. Whoa. Impressive. (laughs) Um, So this guy's obviously done well for himself. And uh, I haven't actually listened to these. And and sometimes I do that uh, Barry does these podcasts where he talks to different investors. And, you know, some of them are interesting. Some of them are a little dry. But, you know, they, they usually have a pretty good point to them. And he did one recently with Ray Dalio and, and talked about, you know, sort of his life and experiences as an investor. And one of the things, one of the most important things that he learned was being able to learn from your mistakes, having the humility to admit that you were wrong. Right? Yeah. It's, this- it's so critically important <laughs> in all aspects of life, but certainly also in, in the work we do. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the world of investing, something that is not, um, can I put it mildly and say it is not filled with certainty, (laughs) you know, there's not a whole lot that you can know for certain when it comes to investing. There's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, And Ray Dalio talks about uh, this experience very early on in his career in 1982 he predicted a massive global recession. Right? He was predicting 1982 that we'd have this, this massive recession and you know, markets around the world would go down. And you know, this was his expectation. And obviously, he invested right. accordingly. Which, by the way, is the job of most hedge funds. Hedge funds, the goal of them is to make a prediction on what's going to happen. It's usually a long-term or not always, but sometimes like a, we'll call a long-term bet, a two-year bet in their world of the hedge funds. Mm-hmm. And when you're right, you're a superhero. Yep. And when you're wrong, people pull your money out because not only, you know, they're counting on you, they're paying uh, a lot of fees often to the hedge fund because you're supposed to be a, a soothsayer, someone who's going to make that prediction and make them a lot of money, not lose them a lot of money. Exactly. Uh, so let, let's go through his experience here because I, I don't think I can say it any better than he did. 
Um, so to quote him here, my experience over this period was like a series of blows to the head with a baseball bat. Being so wrong, and especially so publicly wrong, was incredibly humbling and cost me just about everything I had built at Bridgewater. Um, so because of these losses that he experienced, he says he had to lay off all of employee, his employees and ask his family for money. Uh, and going back to quoting him, I'd lost so much money I couldn't afford to pay the people who worked with me. One by one, I had to let them go. I even had to borrow $4,000 from my dad until we could sell our second car. Wow. He was so arrogant, overconfident, and failed to do enough historical research uh, that he you know, basically <laughs> believed in himself and his own abilities so much that he let that cloud his judgment. Um, in retrospect, my crash was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it gave me the humility I needed to balance my aggressiveness. I learned a great fear of being wrong that shifted my mindset from thinking, I'm right, to asking myself, how do I know I'm right? And I, I thought that right there was pretty powerful because I don't think when it comes to the world of investing and financial planning, I don't think you can ever very rarely be in this circumstance where you can absolutely say, I'm right. But what you can do Agree. is do this, do research, look at the facts and data behind whatever plan you're putting in place and say, well, to the best of my ability, I am confident that this should work in the future. Right. And why? And right. this is certainly what we try to do with our clients is here's what we're recommending you do. And why? It's not going to be, <laughs> it's never going to be a black and white, yeah. yes or 100% right, 100% wrong deal. Right. Investing doesn't work that way. But here's the evidence. You and I talk about this a lot with clients and amongst just you and me. Here's the evidence of why we're doing it. We think the evidence is compelling. Yep. Uh, does the evidence match your particular needs of the client? And here's why we recommend it. And <laughs> And that's that. And often there are things that just don't make sense to us. And I think we're pretty clear about that too. And all a lot of these don't fall in the category of humility. And I'll throw one right out, and that is the ability to make a short-term prediction of what you started the show with. Right. I mean, it, we we feel it's impossible to do on a regular basis, and unfortunately, short-term in our world is not a month; it's a couple of years. Right. And, and I mean, some people will equate investing with gambling and they'll say well investing in the stock market it's just like gambling and i'll disagree with that because when you gamble for a long enough period of time the mathematical odds are you're going to lose money right, <laughs> right? that's why they're all the, the shiny glittering casinos out there and when it comes to investing if you invest for a long enough amount of time typically you are making money investing in the stock market but when you boil it down to shorter time periods and certainly, you know, a year or less, then I think it does become more and more like gambling. Right? And most of us would consider it ridiculous to say, well, I'm going to base my retirement plan on, you know, whether or not the Redskins can cover the spread this week. You'd say, well, that's a dumb idea. I'm not going to do that. But in the same breath, people will say, well, but you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get into U.S. stocks, but just for a couple of months because I think they're really going to go up. And then I'm going to get out before everything goes down and you know, right. you're back to gambling. And then I think another humility factor is on the 
is on you, you the listener, <laughs> you the client, if it's our client. And that is, we're in a time right now that makes humility difficult with investing because we haven't just gone up for a couple of years. We had a crash in 2008, and last time I checked, it's almost 2018. Mm-hmm. And we really haven't had anything with, with the, it's almost been virtually all up going on a decade. Yeah. And where I think maybe a way to be humble, if I was going to say, hey, I want to teach somebody a lesson on being humble and where they are now about going forward would be that in 2008 you know what you didn't know what was going to happen you many of you just said hey my investments are down 60 percent what's the point of getting out now and selling i'm just going to let it go and not look at it turned out to be the right move other people just got out they couldn't watch it go lower and sometimes that move made sense based on your situation, especially if you were just retiring or very close to retirement in 2008. But now, a lot of you who, maybe you're closer to retirement now or, or whatever, you didn't have a chance to make this work. You could do the math in your head. There wasn't enough money in your 401k or TSP or whatever, combined with whatever pension you have or Social Security. It just wasn't going to happen then. But now, right now, mm-hmm. forget about what might happen. <laughs> Right now, you can make it work. Yes, but in other words, you could just—I'm not saying cash out, but now put a plan together that's going to be a little more conservative than you did growing it, and now you can make it work going forward. And that—that seems like a simple thing to say, but there takes humility to say I could make it work. But you know, we just had the—and when you're listening to this, maybe that tax plan's already been signed. Right now, you know, when we're recording this. The, the Democrat was elected in Alabama. There's a fast track to sign this bill and whatever. But certainly, especially, I think, if you're, you know, you've bought into the notion, just financially, not politically, that these tax cuts are just going to make things even better mm-hmm. for the stock market. Right. It's not as easy to be humble no. when you can say, I could just sort of, I'm not saying cash out, but, you know. Maybe get a little more conservative or maybe just look at things from this may be a peak and I'll plan for going forward as opposed to why would I miss out on something that seems pretty obvious that we at least got a couple more years of growth. It's another one of those time periods that requires no, humility. I, I agree. I, I think it's a really good point because this idea of getting more conservative you know, because you're now closer to retirement and basically like you said – You've essentially achieved that goal. You know, you've looked at your portfolio and you say, "Wow, based on what I've got today and and all my other pensions, social security, I'm there. This is what I've been shooting for. I'm I'm at this level." And now you've got this choice: do you keep pressing your luck and saying, "Hey, I'm going to keep my stock allocation really high," or do you say, "You know what? Let's take a, a little bit of the winnings off the table here. Get a little more conservative." I know that that might not maximize my final account value, right? my ending account value when I'm 95, but it makes it more certain that I don't get wiped out. Right. And I, I think it takes a lot of humility to do that because then you got to look at your statement next year and let's say next year the market's up another 15%. You've got to look at that and say, okay, I missed out on some of that, but that's okay because if it had been down 15 or 25 or 35, you know, then I really would have been in trouble there. Yep. Um, 
last thing I wanted to touch on just real quickly, and, and I think it all ties into this, but um, just because I, I've gotten a few questions about it, we've, we've both gotten a few, is about Bitcoin. And gosh, I remember <laughs> doing, a, I don't know if it was a radio show back when we did the radio show a couple years ago where Bitcoin was all the rage. And then Bitcoin kind of faded from view there for a while. And now Bitcoin is just the hottest thing going. It is. I don't understand it, but it's hot. <laughs> well, okay. So I mean, you tried to explain it to me one day and it went over my head. All right. So, I mean, here's how I explained it is, it, you know, a piece of a dollar bill, right? A dollar bill you hold in your hand. Why does that have value to it? Well, because the U.S. government says that it has value. Right? There's nothing inherently special about a dollar bill. It's basically everybody agrees that this piece of paper is worth a dollar. So you right. and I can exchange that. Right. I could give it to someone at the 7-Eleven and get legal, some M&Ms. Right. Legal tender there. Um, so you could take any object and you could assign a value to it. And if everyone agrees to this value, then you could use it as legal tender. Now, things like gold have been used you know, for that in the past. This is simply the next step forward to say it's this cryptocurrency, this electronic thing. There's a limited number of these electronic things that are out there, and we're going to use these to exchange money back and forth, right? Now, (laughs) but here's the problem if you're 55 years old like me. (laughs) I don't trust that. I don't even understand computers, but it's limited, but it's manufactured by my computer. Why can't my computer just manufacture some more? And then the explanation is, oh, because of all this other stuff you don't understand, Dave. That's the difference. It's like I just don't feel comfortable with the notion that there's a limited number of things computers can make. Okay. I don't get get it. And now I'm done. But that's <laughs> Yeah, I mean me. let's not get into you know, you could say, you know, you're mining gold, you can feel comfortable, there's a finite amount of gold out there, right? Well, just okay, say but the it same doesn't really matter because that doesn't matter. It, none of that matters. But here's where it kind of ties into humility is you know, people who have invested in Bitcoin. You know, I heard on um what's that radio station you and I listen to nobody else the bloomberg oh, rating. yeah 99.1 yeah. here in washington yeah its ratings I, are they just came out dave and steve yeah. <laughs> every morning i listened to it and uh, they were they were playing this clip of this 13 year old who had invested in bitcoin and was being interviewed by some other financial experts because he'd invested in it at whatever amount and now he was worth you know a million dollars and they're talking to this guy, this guy, this kid, <laughs> 13, right? right? Like he's some sort of genius. And you know what's his strategy? He says, well, when Bitcoin goes down, you buy more. And then if Bitcoin goes down further, you buy even more. And if it keeps going down, you just buy more, right? And <laughs> they're talking to him okay. like he's some brilliant trader or something like that. And it could be a classic example. I mean, not that I'm expecting a 13-year-old to have humility, but these people who have bought into Bitcoin and say, oh, it's gone up so much. I'm brilliant. I could see the future there. I don't know. It, it reminds me. I just think me- I'm getting very close to the old man who I never thought I would be who yells at the kids when they walk on his lawn. 
in his bathrobe, <laughs> not shaving for three weeks because of Bitcoin and what you just said. Because I just read an article today, Ted Leonsis had invested all this money in Washington's Washington, D.C.'s 2K team. Now, what that means is these are, I'm assuming, kids who are going to be playing video games. And supposedly, more and more young people like to watch other people playing video games. And they're selling, it's like a, a so in other words, instead of watching a real game, wow. you would watch other people who are really good at NBA 2K and the can Madden. I, can I join you on so your live all yelling I'm getting at these to kids. be one of those very old people who still... Likes to read the newspaper, paper edition, and doesn't like to not pay money. Yeah, I guess to go watch people play video games, and while I'm at it, I'll pay them to watch the video games with my Bitcoin. Okay. All right. Thanks for joining us. Dave and I are going to go walk to school uphill both ways, barefoot, <laughs> in the snow, because <laughs> we're both officially old, but uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>